0: Well, last week I talked with us about um, love and and doing acts of love and showing love to people, and um, I had a I had a number of people come up to me throughout the week saying, "Pastor, you need to understand, you do love. You may not recognize it, but you do love." And I wanted to share with you guys um, those thoughts because. I wanted you to hear the same thing from your pastor. I did not want to leave anybody with a sense last week that, um, that you're bad or you're not doing what you're supposed to do. It was, an, it was meant as an encouragement to us, all of us, to strive to be more and more and more like Christ. And the thing that's so cool is as I was preparing for this service, this almost is like part two to last week. Last week I talked about being intentional about being loving and trying to display and show the love of God. This week we're going to talk about what it means to have perfect love. So if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 18. 1 John chapter 4 verses 12 through 18. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us and uh, to, th- to know the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us within with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with judgment, with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is much in this passage that I wanted to talk about. And I may actually come back to this next week. Just depends on where the Lord leads. But the word perfect and perfected and this idea of having a perfect love or being perfected in love is what gripped me as I studied this week. And God, it was really cool. Sometimes sometimes sermons are just right there in this text and it's very easy. You can just follow it. But sometimes God takes me on a journey, and sometimes he takes me on a journey through scripture, and just sometimes he takes me just on a journey. And so this week, it was just going on this little thought journey, walking around and thinking about different things. And year, uh, a number of years ago, back, eh, almost seven years ago now, um, when I was going through my master's program, I took a class on philosophy, which was not a fun class. It was, uh, it was something that I, I enjoy Philosophy in the sense that I enjoy talking with other people about my philosophy, but studying philosophy was dry and very boring. But there was something that I learned about philosophy that, uh, in this study that I had never come across before any other place. And you may have already heard about it, maybe old hat to you, but it was not to me, it was all new. And it was this, this one term. It is called telos. Um, in some some ways of pronouncing it, it could be telos, but it's telos. Some some if you read some of the Greek, it may be telios. But this word is prominent in Greek thought. It was prominent in the time of the the writing of the scriptures. It is even prominent today amongst philosophers. And has anybody ever come across this word or this concept? In their, in, their, in their, you have. What does it? What do you understand it to be? Philosophy. Okay. Okay. Well, the definition. If you look up the word "telos" in, in, a, in a Greek or, or you know, in some kind of a, a, a book talking about what is telos, you'll be told that the word "telos" can mean purpose, okay. the reason something exists you will be told that telos will mean intent. I intended for this to happen. The telos was what I was intending to happen. It could be the end. And when I say end, it's not not in the sense of ending. You know, not the end of a story. But it's reaching the, well, here's the other word, reaching the goal, okay? The end of, getting to the end of something, reaching the goal, finding its purpose, understanding the intent. All of these words describe the Greek word telos. Now, um, Aristotle was an ancient Greek philosopher thousand years or so before the time of Christ. And he is quoted through all philosophy as kind of like the author of this idea of telos. And the idea that Aristotle put forth and has been held onto for these thousands of years is when you're discussing telos, you're trying to discuss what is the inherent purpose of a person or a thing. In other words, why was it created the way that it was created? What was the end goal of that thing? For example, one of the easiest ways to, dis- to discuss it, what is the telos of a coffee cup? If you look at the cup, it is crafted by someone With intentionality. It has a reason for existing. It was created so that something could be accomplished. Now, what is the actual purpose or function or intent or telos when you think of coffee cup? What do you think? I'm sorry? To hold your drink. So, without the handle, it would still be a cup, correct? It would still hold your drink. But this one was created to be a drink for hot liquids. A coffee cup or a tea cup. This one was sold to me as a coffee cup that 's the reason i 'm calling it a coffee cup because the person who sold it to me said it was a coffee cup, which meant that the person who made it intended to be a coffee cup and and, and i 'll give you some some things that I see about it that you can 't see because you 're too far away this one of the things I love about this particular cup is it 's got the grit in the clay, so it was a hand thrown cup if you understand what that term means it wasn 't something that was poured with slip into a mold and then fashioned. This was actually put on a potter's wheel, a lump of clay, and somebody with their hands actually fashioned this shape. And there's ridges in the side that you can see. But the reason I like hand-thrown coffee cups is they're usually thicker in their wall, and they're denser. And why is that important with a cup for a hot liquid? It's so that it retains the heat. A lot of times, if you go to England, if you go and have a, a, a cup of tea with somebody or a cup of coffee with somebody, they will actually heat up the, the stoneware or the crockery or the, the china before they actually put the tea in it. So that way, the, the clay or the, the porcelain or the bisque, whatever it is, doesn't absorb the heat. It's already hot. Then it retains, it helps the, the liquid to retain its heat. But the purpose of a coffee cup is not just simply to hold my drink, it's also to help my drink stay warm while it's holding my drink. In addition to that, a coffee cup has intentionality, has a, a handle. And the handle is, it comes in various shapes. I mean, some of them you can put your whole hand in, some of them you can only hold with one finger, some you can hold with various fingers. But in all purpose, all reasons, there is a handle on here. Why? So that I can hold my coffee without burning my fingers. I have a coffee mug that was given to me. Somebody fashioned it. They thought it was absolutely glorious and fabulous. And it's one where you actually put your fingers inside the shape of the cup itself. Um, And it's useless. Because it's too hot to hold. You have to put on gloves in order to hold the cup. And so it's really pretty, and it's really fun, it's unique, and it sits in our cabinet. We never, ever pull it out, because it's useless. But this has a good functionality, and a good shape, and a good... Uh, 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 It meets its purpose. In other words, it's not just simply a vessel to hold liquid, but it is fashioned intentionally so that it will hold hot liquid and help keep it hot, and it makes it possible for me to hold my hot liquid without burning my hand, and then I can drink it every so often until I finish my drink. So the purpose, or the telos, of this coffee cup is to transport a hot liquid and make it possible to carry it while you're going around your business day, okay? So in order to function or to, to, to say that this, this coffee cup has reached its telos, you would then try to use it as it was designed. If I poured a hot liquid into it, does it hold it? Yes. If I pour a hot liquid into it, does it help it to retain its heat? Yes. Do I, when I pour a hot liquid into it, am I able to pick it up and carry it around and transport it? Yes. So this coffee cup has reached its telos because it's, it functions exactly as it was crafted and created to do. Make sense? So now, when we're talking about telos, why in the world does that have anything to do with what we're talking about this morning about perfect love. Well, I'll tell you. If you happen to have a Strong's Concordance. On your phone or in your desk. And you have the ability to pull it up. You would find in First John chapter 4 verse 12, 17, and 18. The word perfect or perfected. And guess what Greek word that is? Telos. Or various forms of telos. So when John the Apostle chose that word in writing this letter, he already knew about Aristotle's theory of telos, because Aristotle lived almost a thousand years before the Apostle John, and this idea of telos was part of the Greek culture, and he lived as part of the Greek or the Hellenistic mindset and culture, and so he's writing to people who understand this idea of telos. And he says to them in verse 12 of chapter 4, If we love one another... God abides in us and God's love is telost in us. God's love finds its perfect end in us. Now verse 17. By this is love telost with us so that we may have confidence For the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. But to understand what he's saying when he says by this, by something, love is made perfect or love reaches its full end. We'd have to look earlier to the verse just ahead of it. So it says in verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God is in him. And by this love is perfected. So what we hear is when God's love comes into us and we abide in God's love, then God's love is perfected in us or with us. And if I said that without you understanding the term tell us, you would have said to me as I thought when I was reading this, well, wait a minute, isn't God's love already perfect? I mean God, God is God. His, His love isn't flawed. So if God puts His Spirit in me and His love is there in me, if God is love and God is in me and God's abiding with me, then His love is perfect. So how does it need to be perfected? Well, it has to be perfected because it's in us, we who are not perfect. Okay, a perfect love enters into us. Oh, and the love, remember we talked last week. The love is agape, which means it is a selfless, not self-seeking, always looking out for the betterment of the other type of love. So this perfect love comes into us and it has to be perfected. Well, that's kind of weird. What happened to it when it came to us? And I would submit to you that it's not that anything bad happened to the love or that it got in any way adulterated. It's not that the love has been tainted in any way. It's that the vessel that's trying to contain and live in and display that love has issues. Now, if you go online again, this is a, this is something that is available because it's not in public, it's in public domain, it's not under copyright. There is a commentary written by a man named, whose name is Johan Bengel, B-E-N-G-E-L, and you will find in his commentary on this particular passage that he has four groups of humanity or, or four conditions in which human beings find themselves. When we're talking about abiding in or having God as part of their life and living out the perfecting of the love of God. Bengal says that human beings will be without, can be without fear and without love. What does that mean? Those without fear and without love are the ungodly sinners who have not yet been awakened to their moral condition before God. These are the people who are walking around blind, spiritually. They aren't aware that there's a God that they have any onus to, no moral responsibility, so they don't fear Him. And they are without love. Now, this is the thing that you need to understand before we go any farther with this. How can any human being in that condition have a relationship with another human being if they don't have love? We'll talk about that in a minute. But think about, but realize that as we're talking about this. The second condition that Bengal talks about, a person, and this is a progression if you will, okay? The next phase or condition in this interaction of human being with the agape of God is the person has fear but no love. This second class or this second condition consists of those people who have been awakened to their sins and have come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. For them there is great Fear of God and His judgment, but as yet they have no love. It's like Esther standing at the entrance to the throne room of the king, knowing that she needs to go see the king. It's the only source to get the help that she needs, but she's scared to death because she's afraid she's going to be destroyed. And she has no love with the king at that moment. And the, Anyway, the analogy kind of breaks down. The third condition that Bengal talks about as Christians are progressing in, the, or people are progressing in their relationship with this agape love, is that they have fear and they have love. What this means, what this consists of, this third group is made up of those people who have the love of God imparted into their hearts and they do love God but that love is still mixed with fear and the the commentator commentator that i was reading said believers who have who are in this condition believers christians who are in this condition in other words with love means that God has entered them. The agape of God has come into them. So they are in relationship with God, but they're still afraid of Him. And it says believers who exist in this mixed state do so until such time as the love casts out the fear. Because if you go to verse 18 in 1 John, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out For fear has to do with judgment and with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So in each of these cases, either they don't have any relationship with God at all, or they recognize that there's a God, but they don't have God in their life, or they have God in their life, but they're still scared to death of Him because they're still afraid of God Condemning them and judging them and causing and not receiving them and not re, re, not accepting them, there is this idea um, that they need to have the love perfected in them. When it is perfected, they are without fear and with love. When this occurs when they have reached the state in their relationship with God, where they no longer fear judgment, no longer fear punishment, no longer fear rejection, but are in relationship with God and are in peace with God, their love or God's love has been perfected in them. Now I ask at the beginning of that four little conditions, if a person is in their natural broken state as a result of the fall in the garden where they are not in relationship with God, therefore they do not have the agape of God in them and they are um, in this state without fear because they don't know God, they don't care about him, they don't have any idea that he's about. How can they love? Where does love enter in? And that's the difference between understanding Agape love, Eros love, Phileo love. A person can love another person whether they have a relationship with God or not. I, I can say to my wife, I love you and mean it with all of my heart and, and, and have every, every ounce of me poured out in, in love for her whether I'm a Christian or not. But the agape is what transforms my ability to love. I think I'm loving selflessly. I'll do anything for you, baby. I'll do anything. I'll I'll die for you. Maybe. But once the agape enters in, it transforms everything about who we are and how we understand relationships, and how we can truly, truly, selflessly give and give and give without fear or worry about what we're going to get. And that only happens when God enters into our, rela- our into relationship with us. So these these three conditions. Well, before I go back to the three conditions, let me, let me, let me read. I have a quote that I want to read to you because I could not, I tried to come up with my own way of saying it, but this is just so, so well done. And and it's a little bit long, so bear with me. Um, In summarizing the command to love one's brother, John begins with his most important truth. Love must never be conceived of as a natural experience of the natural man. There is such a natural love, but it must not be confused with divine love, agape. The love John speaks of originates with the Father. It became manifest in and through the Son, and now characterizes the life of the children of God. Therefore, he begins this summary by saying, we love. Although the Greek verb form expresses either exhortation or description, here it's better to uh, use it descriptively. As the father loves, as the son loves, so also we will we love. The love with which we love is not our own. And this is the point I wanted you to hear. The love with which we love is not our own. We did not create it, nor do we have the power to express it. It is always God's love or Jesus' love which is in us. But because we abide in the Father and in the Son, the love becomes also our own love. It is not that God reveals his love apart from us or in spite of us, but that he invites us to love even as he loves. So we return to him, his own love, and love him. I have a typographical error here. Love Him, Oh, love him with the light of his love. So also we love our brother with the love of God that God has loved us with. So in other words, when we say, I love God, we're not reflecting God's love back to him. It is our love to use and to to give. But it is a love that we received because of our relationship with God. So when God enters in, God's very essence the the agape of god comes in and it becomes part of who we are and how we relate to god and to the world and to others and so this idea of love being made perfect it is this idea that the perfect love of god the perfect agape of god enters in at that third condition okay you see the first condition they're not in any relationship with god and they couldn't care less the second condition, they are with fear. They recognize that there is a God and they recognize that they have uh, offended that God, but they are not in right relationship with him yet. The third phase or condition They recognize that there's a God, they are aware that they have offended this God, they are afraid of what will happen to them if they don't make it right, so they make it right and have good relationship with that God, and now God abides with them, so the third condition of of humanity is where we become Christians, and as we walk this walk, as we progress in our faith, and progress in our growth as Christians, the fear becomes less, and the love becomes more. And the end result is at some point we cross over to the fourth condition, where we no longer fear at all, because we we have had the love of God perfected in us. And that can only happen through an act of God. It's really crazy. It's like God has these expectations for us, but then God provides a solution for us. You know, we couldn't enter back into right relationship with God after the fall. Death came to all of humanity as a result of the fall. So what did God do? God gave his only begotten son so that all of us could have right relationship with God. Same thing here. God commands us, love with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Do not love, love all of love God and love all of humanity. But we don't have it in us. Because of the brokenness that we experience from as a result of the fall, we don't have it within us to be selfless. So what happens? God says, that's ah, okay, I'll come and I'll do it for you. So we enter into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ as a result of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ. And now we have God's Holy Spirit with us and with that, the agape of God literally comes into us and we become a coffee cup for God, if you will. So that God can dispense The agape of God to the humans with whom we come in contact. So the question then is, have we reached our telos as cups of the Almighty agape? Or the Almighty's agape? See, we were fashioned for a purpose. We were created with an intent. That we would love. That the agape of God would be instilled in us and dispensed by us. Actually by God through us. So the fall happens. We no longer can have a right relationship with God. The agape of God is not in us. And we're pouring out love. But it's broken love. Imperfect love. Until we come into this right relationship with God. And then the agape comes in. And we're able to pour out love. The problem is. If you're stuck in the third condition. There's still imperfect perfect love. Flowing out. Why? Because the cup is broken. Or something's not right. And I don't. The analogy is going to fall apart at some point. But you get my point. But if God. If God can fix what's wrong and stop whatever's keeping it from functioning the way it's supposed to function miraculously, then God will do that. And let me show you where in the Bible it says that he will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What does sanctify mean? set aside for holy purposes. (laughs) May God help you. May God make it so that you can achieve your telos. May God sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he surely will do it. That's the key right there. God will sanctify you wholly, so that all parts of your being are able to carry the agape of God without taint you are able to dispense the agape of God without causing any harm. The issue, though, is we are not robots. We are not puppets. We are in relationship with God. So what does that mean? That means we learn how to do this. God takes care of that which we can't do. God makes cleanses us from our sins. God, in a second act of grace, writes that part of us that makes it hard for us to have and dispense the agape of God. But it is still a, if you will, a learned process. Our part of it. How do I express the agape of God? So, going back to what I said last week about the goal being to love... The reality is, if my goal is to love, my, my statement should be, God, let me love with your love. Let me love with a perfect love. Let my love be shown in such a way that there is nothing of the brokenness of Bob causing shadowing or, 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 or cloudiness, but let the true agape of God flow from my life to the people around me. And help me to be intentional in my own spiritual formation, reading the scriptures, prayer, spending time with God, being alone, being quiet, whatever it takes, fasting. Let all of those disciplines shape me and form me and fix or or or, or hone that part of me that is carrying the agape of God. So that there is no distraction. No distortion. No cloudiness when the agape is poured forth. God does his part. In the life of every believer. But it is a relationship. Therefore we have a part to play in as well. So when John says in John chapter 4. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has been, has not been perfected in love. That's talking about that, that, that third condition of humans. But we have a responsibility to love ourselves. We have a responsibility too. We have a job to play in this and that is that we have to willingly live more and more like Christ. We have to be intentional in setting aside our own stuff. And when it's beyond us, we have to say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. This is this is not something that I'm able to do. For whatever reason, I keep messing it up. I need you to sanctify this part of it. You need to set it aside for holy purposes, God. I've tried. It's not happening with me. And God will do it. God will do it. It is, it's, it's kind of interesting that we believe in the, in the Wesleyan-Arminian teaching, we believe that there's an instantaneous work of God that sanctifies us. But we also believe that from that moment on until we are glorified, we progressively become more and more like Christ. So it is an instantaneous work, but it is not a perfection and never be changed. Never to. It's perfect and now it's perfect and it'll never go wrong again. That's not what we believe. We believe that God makes right what's wrong and then allows us to live in relationship with God, becoming more and more and more and more and more like Christ. So that's the goal for me for this week, and for, for this year, is to love everyone I come in contact with, and to love them with a perfect love. And where there's distortion, God help me, let me turn that over to God, and let him make right whatever it is that's keeping me from living a perfect love Let's pray.